What's up, world? Welcome back to Authentically Us, the podcast where we talk about what it means to be authentic in everything that you do, in every space you occupy. I'm one of the co-hosts. I'm Conroy Smith, and I got my main man with me who is always here, like nationwide, and he's always by my side. Who do we got here? Uh, it's your boy, Tony Morton. What's going on, everybody? <laughs> I like that one, Tony. That was new. Hey guys, um, we got a wonderful episode, but before we do, shout out to MSW Media. Also, take a look at our link tree. Um, we have ways that you can support us. Also, we have some merch that you can buy as well. But we have an awesome, awesome, awesome episode today. So uh, let's jump right into it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Authentically Us. Today, we got a great guest on, uh, Richard Bailey. He's the uh, 51st mayor of Coronado. I graduated from Cal Poly San Luis with a degree in business finance, a master's in applied econ at the University of North Dakota. He was elected to be on the Coronado City Council in 2012 and he was elected mayor back in 2016 that was a mouthful how you doing Richard (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing good it's amazing to hear like just how long ago all that stuff happened I mean 2012 was over 11 years ago now wow right right Um, yeah so we're just gonna uh, dive in talk to us about where you grew up and what was your upbringing like yeah, I grew up over in uh, East County, San Diego, in the unincorporated part of La Mesa. Uh, very fortunate to grow up with uh, wonderful parents, very loving mom and dad, middle class household. Um, my I got a younger sister, and uh, my dad was the coach of all my little league games. So you know, every day I come home from little from uh, elementary school, and uh, there would be my dad taking me to practice, coaching the kids, and uh, those are some of my best childhood memories growing up. When you say unincorporated part of La Mesa, what does that mean? Gotcha. So <clears throat> a lot of people might not might not realize this, but there are um, some parts of San Diego County that belong to a city. So uh, there are 18 cities throughout the entire county. Uh, Coronado is one of those cities. La Mesa is another. San Marcos, the city of San Diego is its own city. But then there are unincorporated parts of San Diego County, which means they don't actually belong to a city um, at all. So there's parts of La Mesa, for example, that belong to the city of La Mesa. And then there's other parts of the county that are part of La Mesa, but not part of the city of La Mesa. So it gets gets a little confusing. So I was kind of way out there in uh, the podunks of uh, East County, uh, the unincorporated part of East County of La Mesa. Wow. So so you went to college for business finance how'd you end up in politics yeah i mean i'll tell you this is this is actually one of my favorite stories to tell i went to school for as you mentioned business finance and one of my best friends uh in college was a guy named jeremy hicks and what made jeremy really one of the more intriguing parts about jeremy is that jeremy was a philosophy major and being a philosophy major like turned out to be pretty bad for his future job job prospects but it made for like those great uh types of conversations when you're in the dorms 
or you're just hanging out on the weekends or super late nights and you just start talking about random stuff and then getting deep into the weeds on some kind of high-minded issues. And Jeremy was at his core, very much a libertarian, like a big believer in that people have their individual, their individual rights came from a higher authority than, than the government. And it was the people that gave the government their authority to govern. So he really challenged me a lot on my own political thoughts and introduced me to a couple different political philosophies. Uh, One of them was John Locke's Two Treaties of Government. The other one was Frederick Bastiat's The Law. And these two books really kind of helped me start to understand these high-minded concepts concepts of, well, where does government derive its authority from? Um, Why do we have the type of governing system we have here today? Um, What are the previous faults of the U.S. government, like where does the Constitution get it right? Where did the Constitution get it wrong, and why? And uh, so it was those college discussions with with Jeremy Hicks that, even though I was a business finance major and went on to uh, start my career in finance, and still today, even with the small businesses I I, I own, I still use you know regular business tools to to run them. Um, that was kind of my first real introduction to. Uh, to politics on a different different level than just politics, but more about public policy and what the right public policy is and why. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think that's so interesting. You know, like you're in college for business, but it was because of that small seed that Jeremy planted that you are here now, which is really <clears throat> really cool. It's very true. And it's, uh, you know, when you look back on your life, you're not quite sure what those pivotal moments are going to be or when they're going to occur. Um, And it's only with, you know, it's only with the passage of time where you can look back and say, wow, I didn't realize that I can remember where I was when I first read Frederick Bastias a lot. I was volunteering. Ironically, I was volunteering at a uh, shelter for homeless individuals and I was spending the night there. And while everyone else was asleep, I was reading this book. And it's like a 90 page book that was written back in the 1800s. And I still remember that moment. And it was that moment where things really started to click for me. Um, And had it not been for that moment, you're right. There's a very good chance we wouldn't be talking uh, today, or at least it'd be a very different conversation. You know, what's so interesting about that? I think about um, conversations I've had, you know, in college, nothing like those college conversations where they can go any direction and sound like these conversations were pivotal to your path of life i think about you know now that i'm a i'm a fitness coach i also you know play rugby and i remember there was a tr- uh, a client that i used to train and she kind of got me into being an orange theory coach even into mm. rugby and it's like these like one-off conversations that like are so pivotal in our life so shout out to jeremy for uh <laughs> essentially driving your your, your right. direction of your life he he really did. And, um, you know, I, I'd say there's a chance I might have ended up here without that conversation with Jeremy. However, the reason I'm here today and think the way I think is definitely due to those conversations with Jeremy. Like he helped make me a, a better person. He helped make me a more thoughtful individual in a way that without him, uh, it's very likely I never would have ended up here in the first place. Or if I would have, it would not have been with the same level of depth. 
to my understanding of some of these high-minded concepts that Jeremy really introduced me to. So I, I, owe, I owe a lot uh, to those conversations with Jeremy. And we still keep in touch today. Now, you went from San Diego to San Luis Obispo to North Dakota. Talk a little bit about just that transition. So this is one that's kind of a head scratcher for a lot of folks, right? Like uh, if you grew up here in San Diego, how did you end up finishing your your, uh, graduate degree in, in North Dakota? Well, timing is everything. And when I graduated with a degree in business finance from Cal Poly, it was 2008. And if you know, you all recall, um, that was kind of in the start of the Great Recession. So the first guys to get cut were the finance guys, because that's where the financial crisis hit first. So here I am up in San Francisco, <clears throat> and I'm like a year into my first real, you know, big boy job and making good money and just starting to figure out life. And I'll never forget, I'm, I'm making my way into the office one day, and Coming out of the elevator bank at the bottom floor was our executive assistant. And she's carrying a box, a lot of her personal items, her office plant. And I'm like, Denise, where are you going? And her mascara is kind of running and she looked a little disheveled. I'm like, Denise, like, where are you going? She goes, she looked at me like I was the biggest dummy in the world. And she says, I'm going home. And I'm like, ah, an early day. Awesome. Good for you. I hope you enjoy your weekend. I was just too naive. I didn't, I did not know. And sure enough, so I get in the elevator, take my, uh, take the ride up to like the 18th floor or whatever, and get off the elevator and open up my laptop. And sure enough, there's an email saying, Hey, come over to the HR office. And I, uh, make my way over to the HR office. And there's this like, it's just a very plain room. And there's a, a box of tissues on the, on the table. And I'm like, it started to dawn on me like, ah, like she, she was going home cause she has no more work. And, and then I'm like, wait a second, I'm about to have no more work. Um, so I, I get in there and they're explaining to me that, Hey, conditions are tough economically. We're going to go ahead and, you know, make some significant cuts. They're laying off about half the workforce. And, uh, and I was just, I couldn't help but think to myself, what losers in here are going to get laid off. And then <laughs> it dawns on me, I'm one of those losers. And then I thought to myself, well, who would actually need a box of tissues? Uh, who would actually cry over losing this job? And then sure enough, by the end of the night, by the end of that interview uh, or exit interview, I should say, like, I was tearing up. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so pathetic. Uh, I can't believe I lost my first job already. Um, so sure enough, I was the loser that was <laughs> grabbing those tissues. And shortly thereafter, going down the elevator bank with my box of personal items. And so that taught me a lot of uh, just awareness and humility that you never know when you might be the one on the other end of it. Um, and that's a long winded way of getting to North Dakota because after losing my job, the recession was so bad, I didn't know what to do. So I, I thought, well, Hey, I should go back to school. Always wanted to get a master's degree. So I decided let's go back to school. I moved back down to San Diego, started a uh, master's of econ program over at San Diego state university, uh, was there for about two semesters. And then I got a great job offer working once again in finance for an aerospace company down in uh, Chula Vista. Now I was right in the middle of a semester. And so my choice was either, hey, tell this company, I'll accept your position, but you got to wait like eight more weeks before I can start. 
keep in mind, this is once again in the Great Recession where there's no job, very few job prospects for guys in finance. Or I could say, you know what, I'm just going to put my, uh, I'm going to pause this semester. I'm going to go to work immediately, which is what I did. The only place, the only university at that time that provided an online master's degree was the University of North Dakota. And so I ended up transferring all my credits to the University of North Dakota. Uh, thank goodness I actually never had a step foot in North Dakota. No offense to anyone from North Dakota, but I mean, it's cold, right? And uh, so I ended up finishing my master's online through the University of North Dakota, which was the only university at the time uh, that I could do. So that's how I ended up a uh, graduate of University of North Dakota. So you never walked or stepped foot there, huh? Never. And I tell you, so back in the day, it's different now how they do online education. But back in the day, they actually had a camera set up in the actual class. And so you could see oh. the other students in class. It was almost like you were sitting in the back row of class. Um, and then you would hit a button on your computer to like ping the professor. And then you would uh, voice in almost like uh, the, the voice of God coming down the classroom to ask questions or whatnot. And they, you could, of course, you could you know, communicate both ways. And so here I would be in my my place in Coronado or at, at City Hall on occasion if I was interfacing with professor and my background would literally be the beach like here I am in sunny San Diego in the middle of December and these kids these other students would be coming into the classroom dressed in their big old fat parkas because it's just so cold um, in North Dakota so I, I always appreciated that opportunity to finish my education there and not actually have to be uh, in North Dakota what um this is a random question, but like, what platform did you use? Cause like, obviously now we use zoom and stuff. Like what were you using then? It was straight through the university. So the university had their own online platform. I, I couldn't even remember the name of it, but it wasn't, it definitely wasn't as functional as zoom or anything like that, but it, it somehow got the job done. Yeah. I always like to rub it in. Um, Tony's currently in Pennsylvania and obviously we're here in <laughs> sunny San Diego and nice. I love being able to, you know, rub in the, the sunshine because we pay for it. That's what friends are for. We darn right. We pay for it. We pay through the <laughs> nose for it. <laughs> so, you know, you talked a little bit about your education. Um, I, I, I guess I kind of want to know, like, what is the process? Like for someone who like, Hey, I want to be a mayor. Like what is, what is the process of becoming a mayor? Also side note, I will say, I don't know if you know this, Tony. Um, so we're from a small town in Pennsylvania called Chambersburg, real close to Gettysburg. And uh, my grandma is friends with literally everybody. Tony knows. Literally. She, she knows everybody. <laughs> she should be mayor. She should be mayor. <laughs> um, and she actually knows the mayor at the time. Um, and he was like, come back to Chambersburg. Um, you know, we want you to come back. And then one day you can run for mayor. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> come on, come on, bro. I don't think that's that's my my process i, I like, like that conroy 2024 baby i mean that writes itself that's my writing <laughs> so uh what is what is the process like how does the one become a mayor yeah it, it's actually uh for better or worse it's very easy it really is easy um on paper it's easy at least so you really only have two questions to answer if you uh, want to be the mayor of any city first question is do you live in the city you want to become mayor of? Are you over 18? And congratulations, you are now qualified on paper uh, to become the mayor of your city. And that wow. really is, that is pretty much the only qualifications on paper that are necessary 
uh, to become mayor. So how the process actually looks though in practice looks something like this. Um, I'm gonna talk to you guys about the like the, the legal requirements and then how campaigns actually work. So Conroy, are you in the city of San Diego now? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool, all right. So Conroy Smith for mayor of San Diego 2024, how would that look like? Uh, it would look like this. Conroy says, I wanna be mayor. Okay, you're over 18, check. You live in San Diego, check. Okay, what next? Next is what's going to happen is you're going to go out, you're going to go down to the city clerk uh, at City Hall, and you're going to say, hey, I want nomination papers. You take these nomination papers, you go out and get signatures from, depends on the city, but it's usually a pretty small number. Usually you need about 20 signatures from registered voters within your city. And then you go ahead and submit that paperwork back in and boom, you are going to be on the ballot for mayor of San Diego, uh, Conroy Smith for 2024. You have to pay a filing fee. It might be a few hundred bucks, pretty nominal, but that makes you a candidate. Now, obviously just doing that doesn't really guarantee you success, right? Because the number one indication for whether or not someone will cast a ballot for you, check that box next to your name, is your name identification. Have we actually heard of you? Believe it or not, name identification actually trumps uh, favorability. So if you have two candidates, candidate A and candidate B, and I have heard of candidate A, but I really don't like candidate A, I'm still more likely to vote for candidate A over candidate B. Like study after study shows that name ID trumps basically everything. But if I've heard of candidate A and candidate B, and I don't like candidate A, and I do like candidate B, I'm gonna vote for candidate B, even if I disagree with their policies. Policies, believe it or not, are like a distant third, if not fourth, down the list of what the average voter uh, mm. really considers when voting. So how do you go ahead and actually increase your name ID? You gotta go out and spend a lot of money. How do you spend money? You open up a campaign finance account, you go to all your friends, both inside and outside San Diego. You hit up Tony, be like, yo, Tony, you said I'd be a good mayor, right? Hey, can you write me a check, uh, write me a contribution check? Go to your grandma. Grandma, you know a lot of people back in Pennsylvania. Hey, can you get a bunch of people to write me a check uh, for my campaign committee? And you are literally call by call, text by text, email by email, building up campaign funds, not to your personal account, but into your campaign committee. And then you use those campaign uh, committee funds to go out and pay for those obnoxious mailers that everyone hates to get around election season. Uh, you'll pay for your ads on TV uh, or social media. And the reason it's so expensive is because, for example, like in a city of San Diego, we got 1.3 million uh, residents. You're going to end up having about four to 500,000 voters from about three to 400,000 households, the price to send one mailer to say 400 households, you're looking at about $165,000. That's one mailer to all households for likely voters, 165 grand. So multiply that by at least six and you're at pretty much at a million dollars. And that's before you even did social media advertising or TV uh, ads or radio ads. So that's why a race like the mayor of San Diego costs about $2 million. Now, a little behind the scenes here is 
the contribution limit to run for the mayor of San Diego is somewhere around $800 or so. So that means the most I, as an individual, could write a check to Conroy's um, mayoral candidacy for San Diego is $800. Conroy, here's a check to your campaign committee for 800 bucks. You can either go out and get 3,000 people to write you an $800 check, which that's a lot of people writing you an $800 check, or you can call up your friends at various industry groups. These are kind of where the more special interests come into play. The Builders Association, the labor unions, the um, whatever type of special interest, and they can go out and they can spend an unlimited sum of money through what are known as independent expenditures on your behalf. And so the best candidates, what they'll do is they'll have great grassroots. They'll be beloved by their community. They'll have a good campaign war chest, maybe not two and a half million, but maybe you go out and raise 800,000 or a million that you, your campaign controls and spends. And you know that you have good relationships with these uh, big time industries that want to see you get elected. And you just kind of trust that they're going to go ahead and be the ones that come in with the big dollars because um, they can write, they can pretty much spend whatever they want. And the combination of both of those makes for a really formidable candidacy for Conroy Smith for Mayor of San Diego 2024. You heard it here first, guys. Let's do it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. So you talked about how name ID trumps uh, favorability and even policies. Yeah. Um, do you feel like that is backwards for what <laughs> politics should be? Absolutely. Yeah, there's no question about it. Um, it's exactly backwards for, for what politics should be. Um, but I think it's just kind of human nature, right? I think we all have, there's all, there's always people in our lives um, where you might be like, my, my accountant, for example, um, gosh, like my accountant is not the kind of guy I want to hang out with. He's, he doesn't really relate to me. We, we don't get along well. We don't have the, the same interests. I mean, we're, we get along fine, but it's like, he's not the kind of guy I want to go and hang out on the beach with or whatever. He's a great accountant. I want him to be my accountant. A lot of people look at the people they represent and say, I want someone that, that is kind of like me, that I relate to, that I get along with, um, that reminds me of me. We should all have the humility to ask ourselves, <laughs> Do we really want us to, <laughs> to run a city or to run the nation as opposed to saying, well, as much as I don't like my CPA on a personal level, because we don't necessarily like love to do all the same stuff, he'd make a great city council member because he's going to make sure those dollars and cents are spent accordingly. Um, that probably makes more sense for him to be there, but I don't really like him. So I'm not going to check the box next to his name. If that kind of makes sense. So yeah, Tony, I think you're exactly right. It, it does tend to be backwards, but I think it's backwards because of just how we act as hum humans to begin with. We're more social than we are analytical. Right. So in your opinion, what is politics for? I always try to separate out politics from public policy. Public policy should be a debate on what are the policies that help us achieve the quality of life that we all want as a collective society while respecting individual rights. What happens in politics is 
all of the, the posturing, the positioning, the relationship building to keep people from getting in certain positions or getting the right support um, or trying to work those industry relationships so that if and when you decide to run for office, you know you got them on your side, even if you're not the best candidate for the job, but you got those relationships. So, hey, they're going to go ahead and back you. So politics, I look at politics as politics is oftentimes kind of the infighting that happens behind the scenes or how certain messaging plays out, working stories into the media to create some type of narrative that may or may not be accurate. Politics is the worst part about our governing system. It is a, it's, it's not that it's a necessary evil because it's not necessary at all. It's just the nature of what happens when you have people that are trying to get themselves into positions of power uh, for, for better or for worse, like for good or for evil. Um, which is obviously very subject, uh, subjective. Um, but I think that's just kind of what happens when you have people that are competing on something other than other than merit. Mm. Yeah. I forgot so, to imagine, I forgot to mention because the only thing that actually matters at the end of the day for your election, Conroy, is did you get more votes than the other person? That's it. That's yeah. at the end of the day, that's how the storybook is written. Did Conroy Smith get more votes than the other Yahoo that decided to run for mayor of San Diego? Um, and I see, I don't mean Yahoo pejoratively. I just mean it kind of like, hey, you, you got to be a little bit crazy to run for public office. And um, and so it politics is all the stuff that happens to try to mm. set the scene for uh, a candidate to win office. And that's yeah. when it's like sometimes you can get ugly, you know, people just kind of pull out a lot of things just to get the number, the vote, right? Just to get the vote, just try to make the other person look bad. And oftentimes there's very, very little truth to a lot of the negative campaigning you might see. Mm. Yeah. So so talk to us, what does it look like for you to be a successful politician? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people would might look at successful politicians based on what their what their stature is are you a school board member or are you a council member are you a mayor are you a member of congress are you what size city are you in are you a governor are you president etc and they might look at that stature that position as a measure of a successful politician and i would say there's some truth to that right if you're just measuring politicians based on well what is the highest office that you attained then yeah the stature of that office would be the right benchmark but I think more importantly is what makes you an effective policymaker? Um, what are you doing to actually improve the lives of the people you represent versus just adding uh, more prominence to your own name ID? There's a lot of folks, for example, in, in Congress right now on both sides of the aisle, left, right, center, where when you kind of understand how the game works and how the, uh, yeah, the game of politics works, you realize Oftentimes, the most vocal members of Congress, the ones that get all the airtime, once again, on the on the far left or the far right, are the actual least effective members in Congress in terms of passing legislation that actually benefits their their constituents. So I think that the more important question is like, what makes for an effective policymaker? One of my one of my favorite stories to tell is that. Uh, back in 2014, 2013, I was newly elected to the city council. I was uh, out for a jog. Here I'm jogging around Coronado. And I was on the corner of 
sixth and C. And I get waved over by, um, by a guy, his name is Kevin Schaefer. And Kevin says, hey, Richard, I know you're newly elected to the city council. I want to point something out to you. You see this intersection right here? This is the only intersection in our town or in this part of our town that is not a four-way intersection, four-way stop at this intersection. It's only a two-way stop. This is confusing to drivers. And I have a couple of young kids, as do my neighbors, that walk to school. So one of our biggest concerns is that our kids aren't safe when they're walking to school because the drivers get confused going from two-way stops to four-way stops. Now, this might not, this might sound like a really, really trivial example, right? Like most of your listeners, viewers, whoever that might hear the story would might say to themselves, oh, well, that doesn't affect me. Why should I care? And that's true. Oftentimes, out of sight, out of mind, most of us would never care about this issue. But a few weeks later, we got a four-way stop sign put in there. And to this day, Kevin's kids are fully grown. They're in college now. Uh, to this day, Kevin still says thank you because that meant a lot to him. That meant a lot to the, the, the fellow neighbors. Like that improved their life and improved their kids' safety. And it was the right thing to do. So what made, I think what made me at that moment an effective policymaker is one, being actually engaged with the people I was representing. And two, being willing to listen to their concerns. And then three, following through on getting their concerns addressed. Had I not had, had I not actually been out in the community, I never would have heard of those concerns. So I wouldn't have had the opportunity to follow through. Um, and I think that's something that is missing with a lot of, um, a lot of politicians these days is that oftentimes the more high profile politicians you have, the less in touch they are with the actual people that they're supposed to be serving. Yeah. I love that story because you, like you said you were on a run and it's twofold, right? You were on a run comfortable enough to run around, you know, Coronado, which Coronado is beautiful. If you can ever come San Diego, go to Coronado. It's amazing. Um, you're comfortable enough to run, run around your city. And then he's also comfortable, comfortable enough to approach you yeah. and address this concern. And then you did something about it. And it's right. like, wow, I have a mayor who actually listens and he cares. And I, I love that. I love that. Like it, it is twofold. Like I don't, it is. I don't know many mayors who are out doing that, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's one of the uh, benefits of being in a small town. I'm sure your grandma can't appreciate it, right? Like if she has an issue in her town, you better believe she's going to speed dial that mayor. Uh, yeah. And he's probably going to get it done and he's probably going yeah. to get it done. And that's, that's, I think it's really something that's important to keep in mind is the way our system is supposed to work in a representative democracy is that we send people that, that understand us, that know us, that, that live our same experiences to represent our experiences and our values and our interests at a higher level and take these experiences with them to best represent our communities. And oftentimes, like the further you get away, like from, from home, oftentimes the more out of touch you become. Like I have uh, I've met a lot of friends on, on both sides of the aisle that now represent that serve in the state assembly. So they work primarily in Sacramento. They go back and forth between Sacramento and their home every single week. They're in Sacramento for four or five days and they come back here for two or three days. And, and when they come back and like after they've been up there for years, they get so plugged into kind of the industry groups that they start losing touch with the actual people that have day-to-day -day concerns. And it's understandable because you're just 
it's impossible to spend that much time away from home and retain touch. And I think you have to have that humility and self-awareness to know, hey, wait a second, I, I'm losing I'm losing my center of gravity here. And the same thing for my friends that I've met once again on both sides of the aisle that you know go back and forth to DC for to represent us in Congress. It's hey, you're on the other side of the country. You're not you lose the pulse of what's going on with the people you represent. It's just it's inevitable and it takes a it takes a really dedicated person um that can recognize that and go out of their way to make sure that they're rubbing elbows not just with the guys that are cutting big checks but with the uh, Kevin Shapers of the world, they're like, Hey, I just want a kid to be able to walk school safely. Can you help me out with that? Mm-hmm. Man, it sounds, it sounds exhausting to, to be able to do that. But uh, I think it is, takes a special person. It takes a special calling to be able to handle that mantle. And I'm glad we have people like you who are doing that, but I wanted to pull back, maybe take off the mayor hat a little bit sure. and talk about like, what do you do for fun? And like, how do you, how do you do things for fun? Like when you are, you know, a, a public figure, like, are you able to go to like Trader Joe's or Target and like actually be able to like shop or like, yeah, like, yeah. what do you, what do you do? Like, how's that, how's that lifestyle? It, it's, um, it has a lot of pluses to it. Like it's the biggest honor of my life to be the mayor of Coronado, uh, to be the mayor of your hometown. You know, it's, it's the biggest honor. Um, but yeah, there are times when you're just like, gosh, it's nine o'clock at night and I want to run to the grocery store and get that pint of Ben and Jerry's. And you're like, oh man, but I look like a total slob. Right. And then my stained sweats and like this, uh, this dirty ass, uh, sweater. I'm like, oh man, do I really got to go cleaned up to go to Ben and Jerry's? Well, yeah. Cause you look, you're, you're the mayor. So you have to look somewhat decent. Um, and yeah, so there are times I'm like, okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll head off Island for a little bit or like, um, back in the day when I was, when I was single and would go out on dates, I I wouldn't want to go on dates in Coronado just because it's a, it's a small pond and you don't want people in your business. Like politicians were people too. And, you know, you want some, some level of privacy. Um, so yeah, it'd be, uh, I would, when I was back in my dating days, I would always go off Island just to get some level of anonymity. And, um, yeah, whenever, whenever my political career is over, I'll definitely look forward to, uh, not having to worry about going to Vaughn's at nine o'clock at night and having to look like <laughs> I can get at my pint of Ben and Jerry's, but yeah, Conroy, actually my favorite thing to do, dude, I mean, actually where we met like orange theory, uh, you know, off Island, uh, being able to get a good workout in, I actually really enjoyed that. It was that's when you guys are doing the outside class or, uh, classes. Yeah. And that's so fun for me, man. That's just where I can kind of like, just like let loose and, and zone out and not worry about all the political drama. Um, so I love, I love being fit. I recently got back from, uh, I was in Nepal for about, uh, four and a half weeks. I was trying to summit Mount Everest. Wow. And, uh, came up a little short, but, yeah, man, getting outside, getting in nature. And I love marathons, triathlons. I, I love all that stuff, stuff that makes you feel one of my foundational like components is I got to be physically fit. If I'm physically fit, then my, my mind game is strong. And if those two are strong, then I can have a good day, but it all starts off with some type of physical fitness. Yeah. You said something very important that like, you know, politicians are people as well and humans. I know for me, as a coach, like I rarely go like around like Bankers Hill area, little Italy, like for fun, because I walk around and be like, hey, coach, hey, coach, hey, coach. And it's right. like, I really don't know who people are when they're not in their workout clothes. So I'm like, right. oh, hey, hey, you. <laughs> yeah. 
you know? So yeah. I, I get that about like wanting to live like a, I don't know, a normal, a normal life. Like when you yeah. travel, do you like just do all the things you, you can't do in Coronado? <laughs> I, um, let's see when I, when I travel, I, it's not that I do anything differently necessarily, but I do enjoy time to just be me. Um, instead of like having to, uh, to be on and, mm. and there's always a chance Like if you and I, if, if the three of us, me, Tony, you, we're going to go out and grab a cup of coffee, uh, tomorrow morning in Coronado. Um, I would have to come in my, you know, my, my jacket, my pants, my white shirt, like looking like something. And then there'd be a really good chance. I'm going to, on my way to our table, bump into someone that wants to talk about some issue. And I'm going to have to give them the time of day because they deserve that. And that's my job. Um, and, and I just won't be able to kind of just like let loose and just have my guard down. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to a few trips later this summer, going to go meet up with some old college friends and, and just kind of, you know, just be like, do nothing, just do nothing, not be the mayor. Like just, just be Ricky Bailey, you know, just hanging out. That's awesome. So, so it's clear that like, you have a lot of stress uh, w with this job and with this position. Talk to us about how you keep your mental health sharp. It's a challenge. It is a challenge. I, I think I'm wired to want to do a million things at once. And we're always constantly learning about the best way to conduct ourselves so that we're most productive. And I've noticed that when I try to do a million things at once, nothing gets done. And if it does get done, it doesn't get done well. So what I've been focusing on, especially in the last couple of years, is um, setting aside dedicated time to only work on one thing. During this time of this day, I'm only working on my small businesses and I have to take away from everything else. During these mornings, I'm you know going to be at the gym and I will not answer a single email, not a single call, not a single text. I have to focus on going to the gym because if I go to the gym and I answer one text or one email from work, it's ruined. My whole gym workout is ruined. My mind's not, not in the right space. I'll be at the gym for 90 minutes, two hours, but I won't actually work out. Um, and so really, Tony, just taking the time to box out what I have to do when I have to do it it's a challenge for me because I'm just not naturally wired that way. So I have to remind myself constantly, Hey, what are you scheduled to do right now? What are you scheduled to do right now? Get that done first. Um, and then mostly, like I was telling Conway, if I, if I can, I'm a big routine guy. So once I'm in my routine, I'm good. But if I'm out of my routine, I'm kind of all over the map, my routine really starts and excels with that getting up at the same time every day. If I'm up at 5.30 a.m. and at the gym by 6.15, like that's going to be a good start to the day. It's going to be a good day. If I miss that, it's 50-50 at best. So <laughs> I think it really just starts with you got to get those little things right. And you get those little things right, you'll end up having a, a, a productive day, at least for me. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you wanting to do a million things at once makes you perfect for being in office, right? <laughs> but I think about those times, you know, even... I'm wired kind of the same way. I feel like you're a creative just in a different way, in a different lane. And I'm also creative with music and all this stuff as well. But there's also times where I'm like, wow, I, I don't want to do anything. And I feel like you don't have that luxury. Right. So like, 
I guess my question is how do you how do you get through those days, weeks, months where you're like, ah, man, I don't know if I want to be the mayor today <laughs> or this week. <clears throat> well, I'm actually, I'm actually coming up on, I'm in my seventh year as mayor. I have uh, a year and a half remaining and then I'm, I'm termed out and I don't know what it's like not to be the mayor. I really don't. Like, I don't know what it's like not to not to get a, a late night text or a late night email that where the expectation is there, you're going to respond, you're going to respond quickly. So I couldn't, I couldn't answer that. I, it's, it's almost like a foreign concept to me. Um, when I am on vacation though, and like, if I, if I know I've gone things kind of taken care of and, and you are kind of able to like, just like let go for a little bit, it is such a liberating feeling. I, um, that I am looking for, I, I, I will not mind the day when this is all over and I can just like, kind of like sit around and be like, well, what do I have to do? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's a very strange. It's a, that, that's a great question. I haven't, I have not been asked that before. Um, I don't know, Conroy, I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about that too. I'm like, man, what would that be like? <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to find out. <laughs> I can't wait to remember. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's um, awesome. So, so talk to us about what you would hope that changes on a local level when it comes to um, policies. Yeah. You mean the specific policies or just kind of like broadly? Oh, maybe just something that like you've been wanting to see happen that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. So... I have this theory. Um, oftentimes when we talk about politics, we talk about it in the context of Republican versus Democrat. Um, but I have this theory that is, if we were to strip away the R or the D and strip away the candidates too, but just ask, what are our shared objectives? Okay. We could probably agree on a lot of shared objectives. All of us want our communities to be safe, right? We all want ourselves and our loved ones to be able to walk around our neighborhoods without having to be fear, uh, fearful of crime. Um, we all want to be able to uh, drive to or from work, to or from visiting uh, loved ones and recreational outlets uh, with, you know, potholes that are filled, right, on smooth roads. All right, we can all, we can all agree on that. Uh, we don't want to have to like walk through downtown San Diego and walk in the middle of the street because the downtown is like sidewalks are aligned with homeless. I think we can pretty much, most of us are, can agree on that as shared objectives. But if we can all agree on those as shared objectives, why is it that our communities are not very safe? According to latest crime statistics, like we have crime as nearing uh, like a, a generational high. Um, why is it that our roads aren't very great throughout much of San Diego County. Why is it that California has the highest rate of homelessness in the entire nation? Um, and it kind of comes all the way back down to policies. What are the policies that are uh, that we are or are not implementing that are exacerbating this problem, right? We have these shared objectives. Why are they going unmet? And my guess is, is that if most of us stripped away the R's and D's, like seeing politics through the lens of a Republican versus Democrat, focus on those shared objectives, and then actually understood what policies are being implemented, 
we would be an 85% lockstep and we could address all these issues very quickly. It's unfortunate. And one of my one of my friends, when I was having this kind of conversation with one of my friends, he's and we're we're asked, I was asking, why don't more people care? Like, why don't more people care um, what these policies are that are driving these failed outcomes? And they said, well, as long as people care more about who Kim Kardashian is dating than what the uh, homeless policies are from your local council members and mayors, then you're going to continue to have these issues. And so ultimately, it kind of gets back to, ironically, what it should get back to, and that is, what are the priorities of the voters? What are the priorities of the constituents? Most people, I think if we're being honest with ourselves, care more about who Kim Kardashian is dating or care more about, well, what's Manny Machado's batting average? And I love Manny. Manny's a Coordinator resident, so go Manny, go Padres. Mm -hmm. um, but if we care more about who Kim Kardashian is dating, who Manny Machado's, what Manny Machado's batting average is, than we do about, well, how many shelter beds are there? What type of enforcement standards are actually in place? What type of funding is available for the shelter beds and the enforcement standards? Then how are we ever going to hold our elected officials accountable? for yeah. their performance or their policies. Yeah. Uh, so that is, Tony, that's a long-winded way of getting back to what I wish would change the most is I wish more people cared about their policies that are being implemented rather than these other kind of more superfluous entertainment type things. So yeah. so a follow-up to that is I feel like after 2020, politics has just gotten so much worse and so much more divisive what would you say to people that want to care but have grown cynical mm. towards politics <laughs> i would say i get it i understand i i it's tough for me not to be cynical as well I used to have a full head of hair when i started right and now i've lost all my hair i got wrinkles on my face man i my face looks like a catcher's mitt uh, yeah, I, I get it. Um, it's easy to be cynical and that's, and that's the, I think that'd be my response. Hey, being cynical, that's easy. Making a difference. That's hard, mm. but is it is our civic responsibility to try to make a difference. And that difference can be as small as reaching out to your council member, reaching out to the candidates running for council or running for school board, running for mayor. And just taking a couple hours during the election season, forget the presidential candidates. Like honestly, it your your life at the local level, regardless if it's Biden or Trump or DeSantis or, or whoever, like your life at the local level will not be affected by who the president is. It just won't. It might help you in arguments with your friends or your crazy uncle or crazy aunt. It might feel good to have a win. But at the end of the day, if your roads aren't paved, if your neighborhood's not safe, if there's still homeless like living on the sidewalk, like we haven't won anything. We're, we're still losing. Um, so talk to your council members, talk to your mayor, understand where these candidates, act, what they actually believe. Don't take these platitudes that they throw out. They're like, go to a fundraiser. Look, politicians, they want your money when they're running for office. They want volunteers. Go to a fundraiser. You don't have to pay to get into a fundraiser. You can say, look, I'm going to pay afterwards. I want to hear what this guy has to say. Ask them questions. See what kind of vibe they give you. Are they a professional politician that like is just giving you platitudes or are they like, hey, you're the Kevin Schaefer of the world. 
you just want your kids to be able to watch school safely. That's what I want too. So that's why I'm going to make sure that our police department or your school district is funded in a way that allows them to have crossing guards at these intersections or whatever it happens to be. Um, that's, it's easy to be cynical. And if you're going to be cynical, great. I get it. I understand the world's not going to be better. Your community is not going to be better because of your cynicism. It's only going to get better if you actually put on that smile, suck it up and get involved. So, so last question before we transition, what does it mean for Richard to be authentically you? For me, it means to be in the context of my job, it means to be unafraid to share my opinions. It also though means to be, to have the humility to say, I don't know. And the openness to say, well, maybe, you know, more show me in my, in my personal life. It means recognizing that, look, when, uh, one of my favorite quotes, and I can't remember exactly, but it talks about, Hey, when I, when I get to the gates of heaven, like, I don't want to come in just walking, standing upright, being able to shake the guy's hand and have them open the gates for me. No, I want to come in sliding head first, beat up, banged up, scraped up, somersaulting in and saying, wow, what a fucking ride. Like I want to push myself to the limits to where I experience everything I can possibly experience, like from physical challenges standpoint. So marathons, triathlons, my life, my childhood goal was to go climb uh, Mount Everest. So I attempted it last year, or excuse me, I attempted it last month. I came up a little short. I'm going to go back there uh, next year to get it done. Um, so I think being authentically myself just means being willing to speak, speak the truth and being able to recognize, Hey, what am I capable of? And fully realizing that capability. Mm. So good. This has been so awesome. Very educational for me, for sure. Especially for my, um, campaign that's coming up. Uh, you oh, guys yeah. Here first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Conroy. <laughs> um, but we did want to transition to our next segment, which is called rapid fire. Yep. Now, this is where we ask you three questions, and it's the first thing that comes to mind. Don't stop, go. Don't go ask um, your your neighbors in Coronado. It's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Let's get it. If you could play any sport in the Olympics, what would it be? Curling. Yes. That one. Everybody loves that one. It's so fun. It's so fun to watch, <laughs> and you can do it until you're like 60 years old. <laughs> yeah. Um, would you rather get trapped in the middle of a food fight or a water balloon fight? Water balloon fight for sure. I don't like getting messy. Yeah, same. <laughs> nice. What breaks your heart? Oof. What breaks my heart? <laughs> I can think of some past girlfriends, but all for good reason because they got me here. Uh you know what? Here's what breaks my heart. Get deep with you guys. Uh, my dad passed away due to uh, uh, alcoholism and seeing him, seeing him go through that and think of like how much he suffered uh, and just couldn't shake his addiction. Uh, that breaks my heart because he was a really, really good guy. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Well, um, well, this has been an amazing interview. Thank you again for coming on the pod. Um, where can people find you and what do you have coming next? 
Awesome. Uh, they can find me at uh, richardbailey.com. I like to put out a, a bunch of good policy positions on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, coming up next, I don't know, stay tuned. We might have an announcement for a future campaign or just might finish out this time as mayor and, uh, and uh, take some time off politics. We'll find out soon. I'll be looking. And Tony, awesome. I'll put you on the look too. Sounds good. <laughs> I, I'm looking for you to run. It's already been spoken. <laughs> Let's do it. Tony's going to fly out to San Diego. We're going to manage your campaign, Conroy. All right. All right. <laughs> if, if we can if we can get Tony to fly out here for an extended period of time, I'll think about it. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> well, Richie, this has been awesome. And until next time, be authentic in everything that you do. Oh, man. This was a good one, bro. This was a really, really, good really good. Um, Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I didn't know what to expect, but I think my favorite part about this whole episode is I can't tell what side of the aisle he is on. Mm. And, like, to me, to me, that's that's a good politician when parties don't get in the way of what you're about. Yeah, I, I, I love that too. Now that you say that, when I that's why I was like, let's ask let's ask Richard about it. And he was he was a yes immediately. And it's it's really cool that he took time out time out of his busy schedule to talk with us and to educate us. Um, and you can see his heart behind it. And I love that he finds ways to still be a human, you know, outside right. of his job. Right. Um, and he takes that as a priority. And I love that he could just, you know, be human in this podcast as well. So yes. I, I'm very grateful for for his yes, honestly. Oh, for sure. It was great. Um, well, guys, you know what time it is. We've had a wonderful conversation. But it's time for the friendship quiz. And I think we changed it to a friendship moment. moment. Yes. <laughs> it's a beautiful moment. It is a beautiful moment. Isn't there like a Rihanna song or something like that? I'll think uh, of it later. I mean, probably. <laughs> um, so, Conroy, question for you. Um, if there was one thing that I haven't started... Uh, kind of adventuring into kind of like a hobby but you can enter this however you want what haven't I thought about doing yet that you think I would be really good at wow that's a good question I think and this is mainly because one of our last podcasts you kind of did it and I was like wow um and I know you, you've 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 done some speaking before, you've done some preaching, but it's almost like I feel like you could do like even like little social media clips of you just maybe doing like motivational phrases or speaking or even like many therapy things that people could practice. Um, yeah, I, th I feel like that's something that you could do, like very naturally obviously the social media part and posting and stuff like that you might have to grow in but like 
I think I've always said you're a man of few words, but when you say something, it's very powerful and thoughtful. Yeah. Um, so just having like little clips of that, I think that people could could like tune into and and see. I think would be something you could do. I like that. You know, trying to we're trying to we're trying to grow. We're trying to elevate, y'all. Elevate. Elevate. We with all us. rise together. Yep. Shout out to who was that? Lois. Lois. Yes, Lois. Lois. Um, also, hey guys, take a look at our link tree. Um, buy some shirts. We got some cool shirts. We got some other merch that is on the way. But until next time, y'all, be authentic in everything that you do. Peace. Peace.